0: Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you, but no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we are meeting by visiting solely S O L I church.com rest in Jesus Christian. you guys are, actually remain standing for me. You have to stand the entire sermon today. It's a short one. <laughs> no, I, I want to remain standing because we're going to continue in the Word of God. Our New Testament reading is our passage this morning, Luke 1, 26 through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and was pondering what kind of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God, and behold, I will conceive in your womb, and you will conceive in your womb and give birth To a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He'll be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no ends. But Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, for That reason also the holy child will be called the son of God, and behold, even your relative Elizabeth herself has conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called infertile is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the Lord's bondservant may be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Praise the Lord. Have a seat. Uh, let me offer a prayer real quick, and then we'll dive in. Holy Father, uh, uh, we need you more than we know. Uh, I need you so much this morning. I feel that my confession of that is, is even lacking. So Holy Spirit, would you give me the power and the unction to preach your word and uh, reveal just a little of yourself to us this morning so that when we leave here, we're able to reflect Jesus just a little bit more in the lives of the people around us, Lord. This time is yours. We thank you in Christ's name, Amen. Well, uh, this morning we we find ourselves currently in a in a time of waiting. You know, uh, whether it be a, a waiting for Christmas morning. I'm sure all of you kids are waiting for Christmas morning or Christmas Eve. Uh, me personally, with the events of the, the culture and the way things are going, I find myself uh, waiting uh, more expectantly and, and praying for the, the second coming of Christ. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting for him to come back. I'd, I'd love it if he would come back even now. I don't need to finish this sermon, Lord. I would love it if you would uh, pick it up where, where, wherever I leave off. Um, you know, but it struck me last week as Pastor Nate was was preaching on the… Annunciation of John the baptizer that the people of ancient Israel they were also waiting You know they were waiting for what had been promised to them for so many years hundreds and hundreds of years of promises I mean we know these promises because we know these scriptures For a child will be born to us a son will be given to us and the government will rest upon his shoulders And his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty God eternal father prince of peace There'll be no end to the increase of his government and of peace. Or from 2 Samuel, when our days are finished and you lie down with your fathers, I'll rise up your descendants after you. So this is Samuel talking to David, telling him of what's to come. And this descendant will come from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house. For me in my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And and more recently, the the final closing words of Malachi say, Behold, I'm, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will return the hearts of the forefathers back to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers so that I will not come and strike the land with complete destruction. Then 400 years of silence. These are the final words of God to his nation, to his people, for 400 years. Since their inception, since their creation, since that nation was founded, God was one with them, communicating, oftentimes manifesting himself physically, and then silence. No more prophetic utterances, no more announcements, no more promises. Hope must have been dwindling with the the passing of each generation. Oppression continuing. Jews struggling under foreign empires. And then right here last week in the temple, a voice broke through the silence, Gabriel announcing the fulfillment of Malachi and, and the dawn of redeeming grace. You know, that's the, that's the theme of our Advent season here at Soli, the dawn of redeeming grace. So with just a limited time, that took five minutes, a limited time that I have left this morning, I'd like to draw our attention to the mysterious miracle at the center of redeeming grace. It's a mystery at the heart of the Christian worldview. Friends, let me remind you this morning as we sit here, we live in a supernatural world. Far too often I feel like we forget that or we we water that fact down to to appeal to culture and it's a culture that's becoming more naturalistic, ruled by the things of science. If you can't test it in the beaker, can't see it, taste it, or weigh it, it must not be true. And, and we've become synchronistic with that. We've forgotten the fact that we live in a supernatural world where supernatural things happen every single day. But you see, the friend, friends, the, the, the moment we attempt to strip Christianity of its miraculous realities, we remove the very heart of Christianity. And, and, and let me confess to you, like, a big part of me it, it, it would be easy for me to get up here and, and uh, preach or teach an apologetic lesson out of Luke. Like, a big part of me just wants to do that, you know? <laughs> I, I want to talk about the, the historical reliability of Luke. I want to explain how we can trust the testimony Luke gives, the attention to detail, how he wasn't just uh, writing some mythological story about Jesus uh, in order to fool or deceive his friend Theophilus. You see, that would be really easy for me because that's what I do all over the country oftentimes, you know, but, but I don't think that's what we need this morning. That's why I don't think the church of Jesus Christ needs at this season, at this very moment in history, I don't think that's what we need. You see, just like the Israelites, I think we desperately need the wonder of the mystery of faith in an incarnate son of God born to a virgin. I think we need these mysterious things and we need to let them rest heavy on us. And wrestle with them. And then this is where I'll start with the arrival of Gabriel, that same messenger from last week, with another miraculous message. Here we have a young woman, maybe Mary's 14 at, at most, a young woman, a young teen, betrothed to Joseph, set to be married, being told she's gonna to become pregnant with a baby boy, but her 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 and Joseph haven't known each other yet physically. They haven't entered into all the benefits of marriage yet. And now on this presumably normal mid-eastern day, divinity breaks into history. An angel shows up. Notice how our scene this morning, though, is set in stark contrast to the scene that was painted for us last week as the angel, the same angel, appeared uh, to, to, to Zechariah. There's some major differences here. You see it 's this morning. We move from the center of religious life, the Temple of Jerusalem to the to the margins of Galilee to an obscure town called Nazareth. Notice also the contrast between Zachariah, a high religious official doing high religious business, and Mary, a young woman going about a normal day, a, a nobody, a, a normal person just like you and me it 's incredible to me i can 't even wrap my mind around it that God this is about God, is going to choose to reveal himself in his son. He's going to choose through a, through a, through a nobody. A nobody in a no-end no town. He doesn't use the, the lofty officials of the temple to do this. He comes meek and mild. Nothing observably special. And look at the difference of Gabriel's approach. Here we just where he just appeared to Zechariah, here we're told Gabriel's sent by God and introduced himself with an elaborate greeting. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And, and, and look at how Zechariah uh, is, is troubled at the very presence of Gabriel. But Mary, she's, she's not troubled by the presence of Gabriel. What, she, what, what causes her concern? She's perplexed at the statement, favored one. You see, Mary, I think she, she, she knew that greeting. She had heard it before. She probably at this moment had in mind maybe even a little bit of hope because this greeting was what was given to the women of faith long ago. And even more than that. It's been used in the past when God was about to do something incredible. Remember the account of Gideon. You see, Gideon was the least and the last of his family, facing overwhelming odds. And, and you remember how God reduced his army and facing impossible odds. Gideon hides, and, and, in, and then an angel of the Lord appears to him. And what he says is, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And in other words, he, here's a disclosure of God into the, into the weakness and into the, of the frailty of this man who's confronted at what lays before him, insurmountable. You see, there's something special here that's going on, and I think Mary knew it. Maybe she recognizes the significance of the greeting, and and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you've found favor with God. Saints, a supernatural world opens the door to amazing possibilities. And I want to jump us to verse 37, where where Gabriel tells, tells, tells Mary, For nothing is impossible with God. I feel like this is where, where Gabriel maybe should have started his message. Maybe he should have said, Mary, hey, don't be afraid. Nothing's impossible with God, you know? Like, and then tell her that you're going to be with child, that you're, I know you're a virgin, but nothing's impossible with God. It should have been the trend, but that's not how it works. Instead, he uses this statement to conclude their conversation. Either way, I think this is an important fact for Mary and us this morning to grasp that there is nothing that is impossible with God. We live in a supernatural world where God has broken through time-space. He can do anything. Do you see this? There's nothing impossible with God. And, and recognizing these things, and recognizing the greeting, I think Mary realized there's something special about to happen. It's more than just a miracle. It's the miracle. It's the miracle. Ultimately, the mystery of the virgin birth. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he'll be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asks the obvious question, how in the world is this supposed to happen? I'm a virgin. Now kids, if you don't know what that means, you need to ask your parents. And parents, you can thank me later for sparking that conversation this afternoon, absolutely. But the, but the, the, the question doesn't go unanswered, right? The, 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 uh, Gabriel, he says, the angel answered that and, and said to her, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason also, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Church, I love this verse. I love the language Gabriel uses here. It's not like anything that we're used to. It's not like, I feel like if this event were to happen today, it would be completely different. You know, there's transcendence to, to his response, the, the majesty and the beautiful restraint used by the messenger. It's full of Old Testament imagery, and, and Mary would have known that. She would have been comforted by that. That's why the response is altogether different than with Zachariah. She understands that the revelation of God throughout his relationship with his people is special. Like, like God revealing himself in, in, a, in a cloud, declaring the fact that his dwelling was there in the presence of the cloud, and at the same time his dwelling was actually hidden in the presence of the cloud. It's the same thing with the fire that, that, that the Israelites followed in the evening when the, when the cloud disappeared and a pillar of fly, fi, fire was there. There's a mystery in it, and, and, and then we have the benefit of looking forward to the New Testament and, and the transfiguration which came to my mind as I was studying this, where the, where the cloud comes upon Peter, James, and John, and they have that encounter with God, and, and God speaks. You see the cloud, it, it both veils him, and the cloud also reveals him. It's like Moses in the cleft of the rock, that he's there, and there's still mystery because he's not there. She's, she, you know, Moses is, is witnessing God, but he's not witnessing God. And he says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. There's mystery here. And then the mystery of the virgin birth gives way to the mystery of the incarnation. You see, for, for, the virgin to, for, the, for it to be a virgin birth, there has to come about something other than the ordinary means of human reproduction. It has to be according to an unparalleled, unique, miraculous action by the Holy Spirit. And this is the mystery of... Godliness. Paul talks about, if you read his letter to Timothy, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, that he was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. You know, recently I read an article, it's an old article from 2016 in Nature or Science, one of the medical journals, I mean, one of the scientific journals, And scientists, and some of you might, this has been going around social media, so some of you might have seen this, but scientists have actually recorded a flash of light when when, uh, a sperm meets an egg. Have you guys, has anybody seen that? It's pretty cool. There's this this unexplained thing that happens when sperm meets egg and it breaks through that wall of the egg, a flash of light actually happens. What is that? Well, there's a mystery there. You know, there's a mystery there. You know, there are a number of theories trying to explain it, but, but ultimately, nobody knows. And you see, we, we can't fully fathom the process where human life is conceived naturally. Why would we have any difficulty with the fact that, uh, that, that there's a mystery in the incarnation of the Son of God? Why do we sometimes uh, dull this down, this doctrine down? Why is, it, why is it one of the first doctrines that we seem to be willing to abandon? We can't explain how life happens, Period never mind the incarnation but there's more here while while studying for the sermon something came to my mind that makes the incarnation so much more amazing you know i remember not too long ago one of my kids i think it was probably phoebe uh, she asked me like where was i before i was born you know that's a great question where were you before you were born well you're nowhere before you were born I mean, you're in the mind of God, but you're nowhere before you were born. You don't exist before that moment when there's that flash of light. You weren't like, I'm sorry if I'm like destroying some of your visions here, but you weren't like floating around in heaven. You know, you're not like some unembodied spirit. You're not a cherubim. You know, it's, it's just, that, that's fake stuff. It's not real. Now, at the moment of conception, your unique material body is created, and God generates your unique immaterial soul, and then imparts it to that material body. But you see, this isn't—the reason why I'm mentioning this is this isn't what happened with Jesus. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and he became man. He did exist from eternity past. He was was co-eternal and co-equal with the Father and with the Spirit. He's not a created being. He he predates his incarnation. And this is biblical orthodoxy. This is what we hold to. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the the Word here is Jesus. And and he was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And this morning, as, as, as we do every single Sunday morning, we declared... What, what, what it is that we believe as a church is we recite the Apostles' Creed and, and we say that, that, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And, and, and this is an incredible statement and sometimes, uh, certainly me personally, I feel like I've just gotten caught in the mechanics of it. I know that the, the Apostles' Creed by now, I mean, it's been two years. No, but, but do we really sit and think about what we're saying? Conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. This is an essential Christian doctrine that Jesus was born of a human mother without any agency of a human father. And here we firmly and inescapably are in the realm of divinity. This idea, it's not scientific, it's, it's not naturalistic, it's theological, the eternal son of God, who's the second person of the Trinity without ever ceasing to be what he is, namely God, took into union with himself human nature and in that he reveals himself to be truly God and truly man and, and in doing that he took to himself what, what, what before that act he didn't possess. This is an act of divine intervention. This is incredible up there with creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. This is God, very God, the second person of the Trinity, taking on flesh, becoming a man, living among us. This is unique, friends. This is completely unique, not only in 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 human history but in human minds. You can't make this stuff up. You can't make it up. But, but in it is also mystery. Of course it's mysterious. I mean, it's hard to even, even count. It's, it's hard to even comprehend the fringes of this. Like when I'm, when I'm studying, it's even now here, I'm trying to stay so close to my notes because I don't want to mess it up and say something that's not true. But I can't, like when I'm studying it, there's all the reading and all the books I've read, I'm trying so hard just grab on the coattails of this doctrine, chasing after it. Because it's amazing, and it's mysterious, and, and often I think our minds, they lean hard into understanding everything perfectly. We remove the wonder of the world around us, but there's mystery here. So this morning, as I'm saying these things, and they're complicated things, I'm not saying they're not complicated things, but it's my prayer that, 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 that we would allow our own personal gaze to fall upon the face of the mystery in awe and wonder that comes with the Logos entering real time in space, breaking through the cosmos, with a purpose, and that purpose is to save you and me. None of this is by happenstance or accident. it's with intention. God knew that this was the case, this, this is his plan A, there is no plan B. It's incredible, it's, it's, I mean it's divinity right here before us, it's, it's mystery, but it's also history. You know, I, I mentioned that I wouldn't give an apologetic, but I can't resist. You know. I mean, the way Luke introduces this gospel is clearly to be understood that he himself is reporting facts. Like I said in the introduction this message, he's not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. That's not who he is. Listen to what he says. Since many have undertaken to to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the beginning eyewitnesses and the servants of the Lord, it seems fitting for me as well To do this, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning. To write it down for you in orderly sequence. Most excellent Theophilus. Why? Why are you doing this? So that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. So here he's introducing, Luke is introducing fact. Yes, it's an astonishing fact. But it's a fact nevertheless. Nevertheless. It's in this very factual account of of, of which everything that we believe is underpinned. it's, It's important to understand also when we're discussing these things, man, this is such a hard passage, it's important to understand that there's no conversion taking place here. You know, divinity was, wasn't lost in humanity, and humanity wasn't swallowed up by divinity. Jesus is at one time fully God and fully man, 100% both, not 50% of each. There's no conversion. They, they exist side by side in one person, one substance, two natures, divine and human. The incarnation didn't produce a new creature either. It didn't create something that, that was neither God nor man. It, it, nothing new was created. It was, it was Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, taking on flesh. And there's no confusion in the person of Christ between the human and divine nature at all, either. You know, and in trying to process all of this logically, it's just not possible. It's just not possible. And mystery shouldn't make us nervous because there's mystery in everything about God. I mean, right? I mean, everything about God. I mean, even how he created everything. And, and, and then, you know, and, and, and his, his life and his death and his, his, his crucifixion and his resurrection and that cosmic transaction that happened on those three days that he was absent his body. Like Who knows what happened? It's a mystery to us. It's a mystery. And I think that this is what God said when... when, when When in Isaiah, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. For as high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, the only way to come to really any passage of the Bible, friends, the only way to come to any passage of the Bible is to come to it on our knees. The final step in my preparation for this passage, for any passage that I read, before I come here to church, I'm in my room and I, I get on my knees and I read out loud to God, his word, hoping only for a little grace to preach under its weight, under its mystery. To comprehend and remind myself that what I have before my very eyes is is wonder. And it's wondrous. It's a mystery beyond mysteries. And I cry out for that grace and the power to do it. That this is the very word of God. These aren't blots of ink on a page. These aren't just some words written by a man, Luke. Two thousand or so years ago. But these are the very words of God, they've been purposed that way. Every jot and tittle, every punctuation mark, every word has been thought through by our divine creator with a divine purpose and divine intent to point us to our divine meaning. And I need so much of his grace even to convey these things in a way for, for us to even just grasp a hold of their coattails. Just to get a glimpse of him and, and, and his face is seen in the risen Jesus. And it's all up to God. It's entirely God. You know, this is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about this mystery. When he says to the Father, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent And you've revealed them to infants. I'm merely an infant up here. He said the same kind of thing to Nicodemus. Unless you become like a little child, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. You must approach these things as children with with childlike wonder still intact. One of the most amazing things, and I think it's an evidence for for the divine, I think it's an argument for the existence of God, honestly. Like when we look at kids... There's such wonder in their eyes to the seeming mundane, a balloon filled with helium. You bring it home, and, and, and you show it to them, and you let it go, and it goes up, and, and you do it again, and what do they keep saying? Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. There's wonder in their eyes on Christmas morning, not even fully comprehending the miracle that we're, we're celebrating but there's wonder, and I feel like sometimes our hearts are jaded as we become older, and we don't allow the wonder to, to, to seep into us. We don't knit the wonder to our souls. And that's when we become synchronistic with the, with, the, with the world around us. has no place for wonder or mystery when we need that. We need to shed our, 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 our jaded selves and put on the supernatural and all the possibilities that come with living in that kind of world, not subjecting God to our scrutiny, but ourselves to His, yes, we investigate things in search of truth. We test all things, holding fast to that which is true, but we mustn't be so arrogant as to suggest that that we can bring the creator of the universe down to us so that we might examine Him. You see, it's God, the creator of the universe, who examines us, and church— The new life born from Mary came about through the direct agency of God's spirit, and this isn't just any baby either. (laughs) This is a holy child, the Son of God. This here is the promised Messiah. See, the use of of Son of God language here has a meaning going well beyond the merely messianic use of the phrase, the child, Jesus, the second person in the Trinity incarnate, is to be God's Son in a unique way, See, here, right before us this morning, here, right before us this morning, we have something amazing breaking in. We have something that's surpassing anything that's gone before. The mystery of the incarnation is, is the dawning of the promises of God. It's the dawning of redeeming grace. And Mary's response here is, is amazing. As I start to wrap things up, Mary's response here is amazing. Amazing. You know, it's what we might expect as humanity is confronted with divinity. It's the response of time when invaded by eternity, human frailty encountered by godly majesty, pointing us to our third mystery, the mystery of faith. So, sort if of the mystery of the virgin birth and the mystery of the incarnation. and The mystery of faith sounds like this. Behold, the Lord's bondservants. This is Mary's response. May it be done to me according to to your word and, and, and Gabriel left the angel departed her the angel's given her information she asked her question he's given explanation and her response is faith what an amazing response on a teenage girl I, I mean I'd like to think that that's how I'd respond no way I certainly would have been silenced or more, you know, I mean, Mary's not much older than my Eva, confronted with these realities. And then I start to think about the consequences that Mary was going to face. These consequences had to be at the forefront of her mind, right? Betrothed to Joseph, all of a sudden with a baby. What were the consequences with her friends, her family, her rabbi, strangers on the street (coughs) who catch wind of this? I mean, how do you tell Joseph? I mean, how do you tell Joseph? Hey, sorry, man, I'm pregnant. I mean, <laughs> you cheater, You liar. Worse. The names that she must have been called, how do you explain it to the community around you? They wouldn't understand it. They would have presumed that she cheated on Joseph, or, or, or certainly cheated on God, and, and going outside the bounds of her betrothal. They'll say that the birth is illegitimate, which is illegitimate, which is exactly what they went on doing. You know, this is what they did to poke fun at Jesus. We read in the scriptures that they, and they used to say things like, like you know, <clears throat> we know we know that Mary's the mother, but who's really the father? All right? Who's your daddy? Do you even know? They used it against him because they didn't understand. They knew exactly what they were saying. They were calling the question the reality of divinity. But for Mary to say, let it be so, your friends, it carried a lifetime of consequences and was led by faith. The, the, the response of Mary is the right response because it's the response of faith. And then, and, and And that's honestly, that's the response that God looks for in each and every one of us when we're called upon. This time of year is hard. I wrestle. Because I feel like oftentimes... The truth of the things that we've been talking about, the miraculous things that we've been talking about, they're trivialized by so much of our Christmas stuff. It's trivialized by our materialism or our arguments over over public nativity scenes, where they can be erected or not, or, or the use of Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays. But Jesus, he can't be dismissed that easily. And I feel like these things they end up turning excuse me, they end up turning into mechanisms ultimately to try to dismiss him and, and, and what he 's done and his miraculous entrance into his creation. but you can 't dismiss him like this because Jesus he reigns on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom never comes to an end and And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Mary's going to bow. Joseph's going to bow. You're going to bow. I'm going to bow. My unbelieving family, they're all going to bow. If you don't know who Jesus is here this morning, you will bow at his feet at the end of time. You will bow. What's that saying? Resistance is futile from the Borg? Star Trek. I'm not that kind of geek. Maybe I am. But you will bow. The only question is this. When will you let him reign in your heart? When will you let him take rulership over your mind? When will you allow him into the dark things that you know that you're keeping secret from him, but he already knows them? When will you let him rule your life? When will you hear the call of Jesus' mind? over everything, when will you hear this, young or old? When will you hear this, students, when will you let Jesus reign over your school career? When will you let him reign over your relationships, boyfriends, girlfriends, and friends? When will you let him reign over your career, parents? When will you let him reign over your marriages and how you're raising your children? These are the only questions that remain for us this morning. When will you let Jesus reign? When will you stop saying, you know what? When will you start saying, I'm tired of doing things my way. I want to do things your way. And don't don't be confused, friends. This is a conviction in my own heart. I'm not. I'm preaching to myself because it's here. Bowing low on our knees. That entry to heaven is found. You see, the entry into heaven is, is low. I've heard it said before, and I agree with it. You, you stoop to get into heaven. You don't stand up proud. You stoop to get into heaven. Some of us, including myself, I'm not good at stooping. I stink at it sometimes. And that's why we remain as we are, unchanged by the miraculous thing that we're reading about this morning. Let me close with this. Yes, friends, we're in a period of waiting, but loved ones, let me remind you this Advent season that the Savior has come we have been rescued and rescued completely from the sin of even our own hearts and lives and minds. The king of ages came obscurely, miraculously, and mysteriously, and now his kingdom people, you and me, must live by faith in the impossible, a virgin birth, a perfect life, a rugged cross, a bodily resurrection, a heavenly ascension, And now we wait expectantly for the second coming and the final resurrection. You see, these are the things that we profess here at Soli. These are the things we hold to be true of reality. These these aren't fanciful Christmas stories. This is the way the world really is. And this, my friends, is what Christmas is all about. Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven... It never feels like enough. It never feels like enough. But I'm so glad that we can lean on our theology. We can lean on your word and and, and understand that it's not about what we give you, but what you've given us. A perfect son. Living that perfect life, dying that perfect death. And rising again. Also, we could do this, Lord. Have communion with you. These mysteries are, I I can't grasp them. I try, Lord. So I pray, God, this Christmas season, would you just help our feeble minds be wrapped around the miraculous mysteries that you had for us 2,000 years ago, wrapped in swaddling cloths, laid in a feeding trough, An obscure man born of an obscure woman in an obscure town to do unbelievable things. I thank you, Lord, for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In Christ's name.